Amen. What a beautiful reminder of God's grace. Would you take out your Bible this morning and turn with me in the Old Testament to the book of Psalms. Please find the book of Psalms and uh, book of Psalms chapter 95. Psalms 95. As you're heading, boys and girls are dismissed this morning for children's worship as they're heading on out. And uh, Psalm 95, I'll join you there in just a moment. We will read it. Uh, Stand and read God's word together this morning. So find it in your Bible, Psalm 95. Psalm 95. You found it? All right. Once you found it, would you stand to your feet so I know you have it? And uh, we will read God's word together. Psalm 95. Beginning in verse 1. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the inherent earth and the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in Meribah, as the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put to me and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Look at verse 6. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Would you bow your heart this morning with me as we go to the Lord? Father, Father, we come this morning as sinful people who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Lord, it's easy in moments like this to somehow think that by being here, by contributing in song, by doing all of these things, that somehow you are more pleased with us. But yet, Lord, the gospel would say that, Lord, there is nothing that we can do to earn your favor, but that you have given us your favor as what was just sung about in song through your grace. And so, Lord, we bow ourselves before you, the maker of heaven and earth, the king of kings, the creator of the world. And we ask that, Lord, in this morning, that in this time, you would speak to us, you would challenge us, Lord, through your word, that, Lord, as we think about the practice of worship as we come together, that, Lord, it would not be in vain of why we're here, but, Lord, we would have a true, sincere desire to want to meet with you. And so we pray that, Lord, your spirit would be our teacher. We pray that you would help us, God, as we look at your word together today, that we would both hear it Obey it and live it for Jesus' sake. All God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning we are continuing our series that we began a number of weeks ago entitled Rhythms of Grace. We're looking at the practices of a a healthy soul where we're considering what is God's rhythm for your life and my life? What, What are the things, the practices that God would have his people to do to be involved in? And when we think about that, we really kind of think of this word rhythm because 
It, this word rhythm, as we've talked about, it's kind of moving to a particular uh, intentional beat. We're, 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 we're working in this way of rhythm in this movement. And so as we were to think about it this way, what are the movements? What are the, what are the practices? We, we could think about it like what are the spiritual exercises of the Christian, right? So, so what are the things that the Christian does and, and, and by those things, they are training themselves for godliness. Our theme verse is 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you'll direct your eyes overhead, we'll read this together. Would you lift up your voice as we say it together? Here we go. Train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Now, you did well. Let's say that one more time. And, and, and you're really quiet this morning, or maybe it's just really loud up here. I can't tell. But if you are loud, be loud. Here we go. Ready? Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So we've been talking about what it means to train yourself for godliness. What does it mean to be involved, active in the disciplines of the Christian faith? We refer to these things as spiritual disciplines. You say, what is a spiritual discipline? Here's how we have been defining it. Spiritual disciplines are Holy Spirit-empowered activities and habits that by design God uses to grow us, to grow his people in grace, to draw them closer to his son, and to produce in them a life of spiritual transformation. So you see that there, that these are activities, these are habits, um, these, these are things that we do. Turn to your neighbor and tell them they're things you do. They're things we do, and that by design, they're the means of how God would grow his people in grace, how he draws us closer to the person of Jesus Christ, and how he produces in our life the transformation that he is after. You see, we've considered how God is committed to our transformation. The Bible tells us in the book of Philippians that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So there are things this morning morning. Do you believe this, my friend? There are things today that God desires to do in your life. There are things that he wants to change in your life. How many of you would raise your hand and say, yeah, there's some things in my life I know need changing. Can I see your hand? Hey, that's already half the battle, right? You're recognizing there are things in your life that are not the way that they ought to be, but by God's grace and through his help, he wants to change you. And God is committed to your change, to your transformation. The Bible says he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So on this earth, from the time you come to know Christ as your Savior until the day when you're resurrected before him and given a glorified body from this time to that time, God is in the process by his spirit of changing you and transforming you. But there are things that you and I must do in cooperation with the Spirit of God to bring about the transformation that God desires in our life. There, there is responses from us. There is obedience on our part. There is, there is cooperation with the Spirit of God. Because when we do those things, when we do these practices, they don't produce in our life spirituality, but they, per, they put us on a path of of being trained for godliness, all right? So anything that is good in our life, anything godly in our life is something that God does. Turn to your neighbor and tell them it's something God does. 
God does it, all right? But there are things, though, that notice you and I must do, ways that we will do these practices in humility, and as we do them, we both see and experience Jesus better. These spiritual disciplines are practices. They're things that we do, but they set us on a path to really experiencing the Lord. And as Nicole shared earlier, we don't do these things to receive God's love, but we do them out of a heart of love for the Father. It's really out of our love for God. It's His love to us. We already have His love, but now that I have, have, but now that I have His love in, in life, I am, I am doing these things from a position of having His love, and I do them out of love for Him. So these practices uh, are, are like what you did this summer, tending the weeds in your garden, all right? You're, you're, you're helping create an environment for those things to flourish, for those things to grow. And so in the same way, in the church and as a follower of Jesus Christ, there are things that we do. And by doing them, we create this environment for our souls to thrive. I love how Don Whitney describes the spiritual disciplines. He says they are the God-given means of experiencing God. I just think that's a really simple way to describe it. They're the God-given means of experiencing God. So last week, the last couple of weeks, we've looked at meditation of Scripture. We've looked at prayer, but this morning we're going to look at worship. We're going to look at worship. Now, I've said, if you've been listening, that these practices are a means to an end, right? That the end themselves is to experience God. And so, and so the aim in my Bible study is not to simply study the Bible, but it's to encounter God, right? It's to, it's to be with the Lord. It's to uh, know Him, right? Prayer is not an end to itself. It's a means of communicating with God so that I know Him, experiencing Him. But worship is interesting this morning because worship is both a means and an end, okay? It's both of those things, It's an end in the sense that as we worship or when we worship, we are encountering God. So hopefully this morning, you being here, you will have experienced God today. I I love when I'm standing at the door as someone walks out and they say to me something like this, Pastor, the presence of the Lord was just so real this morning. They, They are telling me that they experienced God today. They, they, they met with God. There, they, they, there was an experience there. So there is an end that we experience in that. But, but worship, corporate worship, is also a means. It, by gathering, by coming together as the church, there are things that happen in these moments that God will use to transform our lives. There are things that God will use right now, today, by being here, to encourage you in your walk with the Lord. It will help empower you for the mission that God has for us. I think this is most clearly seen in the book of Acts. As we look at the life of the early church, you realize that the early church, the Bible says they devoted themselves to a few things. They devoted themselves to the word, the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to prayers, but they devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the corporate gathering of God's people and, 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 and have you ever thought about the fact of why we're here this morning? I mean, if you just look around the room, do that right now. Just look around the room at all the people that are here. And what unites us, what brings us together this morning? Someone tell me. It's who? 
It's Christ. It's Jesus Christ. Dr. Mason used to always say, Jesus is the common denominator that brought us together, right? He's, the, the thing that unites us is our direct fellowship with Jesus Christ. The Bible says that God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son. So the moment you come to know Christ, you're instantly brought into fellowship with Jesus. And being brought into fellowship with Jesus, you're now brought into fellowship with his family, Brothers and sisters in Christ around the world today, throughout the ages, some you've, many of whom you've never met, but, but you're equally a part of the family of God. Together you are brought into this fellowship with Jesus and the gospel creates a community like nothing else. Now I know there's other forms of community, right? People can look at soccer communities and basketball communities. They can look at sports communities or Jeep club communities. And and you can see people gathering around something that unites them. But here's the thing. The gospel creates a community unlike anything else. Because when you come into Christ, you come as a sinner saved by grace. And now you are united with all these other sinners who are equally saved by grace and who are equally committed to our transformation. The scriptures teach that we were made to worship Jesus together. Would you say that word? Together. Say it again. Together. Say it louder. Together. We were made to worship Jesus together. Someone has once said, it's not a me, it's a we. You see, when we come to Christ, we come, yes, as individuals, but here's the thing. We do not experience Jesus only as an individual. We experience Jesus as part of a great, redeemed family. That's why when you think about Jesus, we catch this glimpse of what awaits us as the church. And as we, as we look in our Bible at the last book in the book of Revelation, we see this glimpse of what this family looks like. It is this great multitude that no one can number from every nation, tribe, people, and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with white palm branches in their hands, crying aloud with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You see, my friend, this morning as you're here, the glimpse of what God is doing in our lives is what we see in the book of Revelation, that one day all of us who are in Christ will be gathered with people from every nation, tribe, tongue, and language. I mean, it'll be spectacular, I mean, heaven's going to be great, right? And the new creation even better, right? There's something that God is making and that he will make all things new. And, but, 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 but right now, on this side of eternity, we can with hearts hope for that, long for that, look for that. But where we see the glimpse of what that really is like is when we gather right here together with God's family. You see, this is just a small picture of what that day will be. Do you long for that? We were made to worship Jesus together. So can I ask you a couple questions this morning? The first one is this, what is worship? What is worship? Oh man, we, we use so many words to describe what worship is. In fact, it's actually, I found in the church, there's a lot of misconceptions of what worship is. Let me give you just three things that worship is not. I think giving you the not will help clarify maybe what is, okay? The first one is this. Worship is not a service time. 
Now, we do say here at Kitaba, hey, join us for Sunday morning worship at 1030. But here's the reality. Just by you being here this morning does not mean that you will have worshiped. You will have gathered with the church. You will come at a specific time. But, but, but worship is a response of your heart. It's not what happens corporately when everybody's here. It's worship is, is your response to what God is doing. And also, I think the challenge with that is sometimes it gets in our mind this understanding that worship is only the times when we gather as the church. So we gather on worship on Sunday morning or we gather on Wednesday night and only two times a week do we worship. When in reality, the Bible says that every day of our life, we're to present our lives as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. The Bible says this is our spiritual what? It's our worship. So, so, so certainly worship is not confined to only a service time. Secondly, worship is not simply music. I think one of the biggest misconceptions in the church today about worship is the way that we have married the term worship and music to be a synonymous term. I mean, think about it. How many times have you described to somebody, wow, that worship was just ecstatic? Or they'll say something like, hey, that was a great time of worship. And what they often mean, if you were to ask them, is they're talking about the singing. They're talking about the music. They're, they're talking about the time where we respond in song. But hang on, worship is more than music. Every aspect of our service this morning should be a part of worship. Our fellowship with one another in the gospel is a response, an act of worship. Our participation in the life of the body is an act of worship. What we just did a few moments ago as we passed the offering plate and people gave to the Lord, or maybe this week you gave online and there was this very conscious understanding of you giving something to the Lord. That is an act of worship. This Right now, even in the preaching time this morning as we are teaching the Bible and as you're listening that there is a response from you to the Lord, a response from me to the Lord in this time of worship. As we break the bread and we drink the cup together, all of those things are, are an act of worship. So those are expressions of worship, but, but, but those expressions of worship do not define what worship is. So worship is not just a service time, it's not just music, and thirdly, it's it's not just your own personal experience. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, it's not just your experience. Wow, this is the one that I think our society today really grapples with. Because our understanding, as many people in the church today, is that worship is about me. Worship is what makes me feel good. I go to a particular church by the way that it makes me feel. And some people will say, after walking out of a service like today, ah, I just don't feel like I worshiped. Or, or they'll say something like, I, I have to have the right feeling when I worship. And so if I didn't have that feeling, then somehow I've missed it. But, but man, that really misses the mark in what worship is because worship is not about me. Actually, worship's not about you. Worship is not about what God does for you. It's not about how he benefits you. And yet for many people in the American church today, we think about worship as what God will do for us. And we think that it's our own personal experience. That's why, that's why we can be through the pandemic and people can go to all different types of places like grocery stores and doctor's offices and gather with family, but they still worship online. Now, I understand there's some physical reasons that might hinder someone to be together. I understand there might be some health reasons that prohibit us gathering together. But, but, but do you see, worship is not just a private experience. 
Worship is a corporate experience. Worship is a time of gathering together as the body. So can I ask you a question? Your emotions may not be a good indicator of worship. You see, Jesus said that we worship, yes, in spirit, but we also worship in truth. How many of you know that sometimes the truth hurts? Can I see your hand? How many of you like to be convicted by the Spirit of God? Anybody? You know, sometimes conviction is not, it doesn't feel good, but conviction is good for us. The truth of God is good for us. Our response to those things is good. So true worship will always bring about true transformation. So what is worship? Here's what worship is. Someone has said it this way, worship is focusing on and responding to God. Very simply, worship is focusing on and responding to God. So I ask you a question this morning. Have you worshiped today? Have you worshiped? Have you focused on God through the service yet this morning? Have you responded from your heart to the Lord today? You see, in the Old Testament, we find that the word worship is this idea of literally to prostrate yourself on the ground before someone. It's literally this idea that your head goes to the ground, your body goes to the ground, you're kneeling before. In the New Testament, the word for worship is this idea of to kiss the hand. It's this, it's this idea of what you might do with like a signet ring of a king or, or something as you, as you pay homage and respect and, and adoration to that person, that, that majesty and you'd kiss their hand. It's, it's this, this idea of worship is in humility, subjugating ourselves to someone. It's humbling ourselves before someone. And as you do that, what you're saying is that that person there is worth more. They're worthy. They're worth more. And so as we come into church and as we worship before the Lord through song and worship and singing and giving and all the different aspects of worship, what we're saying today is, Lord, you're worth more. You're worth more. You're worth more than me. I am less. John says he must increase. I must decrease. So he must be recognized as worth more. So worship is focusing on and responding to God. It's adoring him. It's acknowledging his worth. God is not lacking in any way this morning because you do not worship him. But by worshiping him, you are entering into the experience with the whole of creation, recognizing that he is worthy of everything. He is worthy of it all. And as you worship before the Lord, you're magnifying him, you're adoring him, you're acknowledging his worthiness. A.W. Tozer said it this way. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So if worship is focusing on and responding to the Lord, then what comes into our minds when we think about God? I want you right now to take 30 seconds and think about who is God to you? Who is he? How do you know him? Yeah, you can close your eyes if you want. This is the one time in the service you can close your eyes for 30 seconds and I won't think you're sleeping. I want you to meditate on it. Think right now, just a few seconds. What are the things today that you know about God? What are the things that you believe him to be? What are those thoughts that come to your mind as you begin to adore him? What, what, are, what are the things about him that you begin to praise? Who is God to you? You look up right here. 
You and I were made for worship. We were made to worship God together. We were made to exalt him together. But you know, here's the problem. We don't worship God as we ought to. How many raise your hand and say, that's true? We don't worship God as we ought to. Why do we not? Why? If God, because God is worthy of our worship. Since he is the almighty, the creator, the Lord of everything. Why do we fail to worship him as we ought? Talk to me this morning. Why? The world, our sin. Our sin separates us from God. Our, our, our sin separates us. We have fallen short of the glory of God. We've fallen short of our created purpose. The thing that God made us to be, to live a life in a way that worships him and brings him glory in everything we do, sin has come into our lives. And sin is not just the bad things we do. Sin has corrupted every part of our life. It's corrupted our nature. It's, it's corrupted our responses. It's tainted everything in this world. And so what is idolatry? Idolatry is worshiping something that is less than God, something that, that God should be worthy of everything, and we've attributed our worth, our praise to God, and we've given it to some idol. We've given it to an image of, of stone or of wood, or we've given it to an idol of our own making, like our 401k or our bank account, or somehow we've, 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 we've shown more praise and adoration for some lesser thing than the God who is worthy of all of our worship. You see, here's the thing. There is not a tribe in this world that you can go to and they do not have some expressive form of worship. I mean, everywhere you go in this world, people worship. There's all different kinds of religion. There's something in the heart of man, something instinctive about our nature that worships. And yet, we look and we, we, we see that not, not many are worshiping what is true. They're worshiping something that is less. It's what Jesus said in John 4 to the woman at the well. You remember that instance as Jesus and his disciples were on their way that day and he passed through Samaria and in that one instance he had this conversation with a woman and he, he says to her, he says, he says, you worship what you do not know. It's similar to what the Apostle Paul said in, in the book of Acts when he's there in uh, on Mars Hill, you remember? And he sees this altar, this idol to the unknown God. He says, hey, wait a minute. You're worshiping, but you're not worshiping. You're, the direction of your worship is attributed to something that you do not know. But, but notice, you see, here is the gospel. Here is the good news. It's what Jesus told the woman at the well. He says, the hour is coming and it is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father, listen to this, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You see, here's the good news. God's seeking out worshipers and God is seeking out people to worship him. It's what Jesus comes. He says, I am he, the Messiah, the long-awaited one. And Jesus reveals himself to this woman. And you remember, she runs back into her town and she says, Hey, 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 come see a man who told me all that I ever did. This, can this be the one? Can this be the Christ? And she comes in this moment of, of belief. She comes in this moment of, 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 of her worship is now understanding. She now understands that, that, there, that there's more that she did not know. And in response to that truth, she just worships Jesus. She adores him. 
He forgave her. Her history, her guilt, her sin, been forgiven. Now this morning, I want you to think about that because this morning, God is seeking out worshipers today. People who will worship Him. Tozer's right when he said, how can anyone ever worship God without knowing what kind of God He really is? Answer, we can't. Can we? I mean, we really can't worship God unless we know Him. So we see this morning a couple things. God is seeking out worshipers. And here's the good news, my friend. You don't have to find Him. He found you. There's a lot of people today trying to find God in all sorts of ways. But you know the gospel, the amazing truth of the gospel is that God has has found you. He's found you. And he wants you to worship him in spirit and in truth. So what is worship? Worship is responding to. You see it there? Worship is what? It's focusing on and responding to God. Secondly, why do we worship? Because he is worthy. Why do we worship? Because he is worldly. But, but, but notice here in Psalm 95, you'll see that. Look down in your Bible. You've opened up there to verse 3. Psalm 95, verse 3. Notice it in your Bible. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above what? All gods. The psalmist is saying, hey, why are you worshiping the Lord? Is because he's worthy, because he's the great king above all gods. You see, the psalmist is even underscoring this fact that everyone worships, but the question is, who or what will we worship? Really, the question for you this morning is, who holds your ultimate allegiance? Who or what? For some of us, our allegiance is tied to something far less. Some of us, our allegiance is a boyfriend, a girlfriend. Some of us, our allegiance is our, is, is, is our bank account. Some of us, our, our allegiance is our, is, our, is our own self-righteousness and our own goodness of what we think. But who holds your allegiance? Who, who, who or what are you worshiping? And And this morning we see that worship is responding to God. It's adoring Him. Why? Because He is worthy. But thirdly and lastly, notice what do we discover this morning? We discover how. We looked at what? We considered why, but now how? How do we practice worship as a spiritual discipline? So we've kind of looked at the fact that worship is both the end and experience, but the means of that, how do we do that? How are we to experience God? Jesus told some people in his day, he said, the people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus said it's possible to actually come together in a time of worship, to practice worship and not actually worship. We can be involved in a time like this and not actually respond to God. I love what Tozer said. He says, if you don't worship God seven days a week, you do not worship him on one day a week. If you won't worship God seven days, then why are you coming to worship him on one? You see, our relationship with the Lord is, it flows out of a right heart. It flows out of a response. So, but here we go. How do we practice worship? If we think about worship being a spiritual discipline, how do we do it? How, how, how do we do it? Yeah. Let me give you three simple things. Number one, show up. 
Turn to your neighbor and tell them, show up. Hey, good news, they did this morning. They did, they did. Show up. How is, how is corporate worship a discipline? It actually requires that you show up, that you be here. I mean, if we were to think about it like exercising at the gym, you're not gonna pick up any exercises at the gym, do any of the weight machines if you just don't simply show up. <laughs> show up. Now notice, we'll see that in the passage here. Look down your Bible at verse one. First two words of verse one of Psalm 95. Oh, what? Come to show up. Oh, come, let who? Us. He's talking about the group. He's not talking about individuals. Oh, come, let us. You know, sadly, so many people today, the way that they've experienced a spiritual experience is by isolated, private moments. And my friend, there's something in that that yes, you might be experiencing, but there is certainly something of which you're missing. If you're not together with the corporate life and body of the church, there's an aspect of worship that you're not participating in. It's what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10. It's overhead. And let us consider how to stir up one another for love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, God has given the church as a means to to, to grow us, to encourage us. The gathering of the body of Christ is to encourage one another. It's, uh, there's, there's something that's happening here. There's something that's happening here that you miss out on when you're not here. Uh, David, Ma- uh, David Mathis in his book, he talks about incorporating the importance of corporate worship. Listen to what he says. He says, fellowship may be often forgotten Fellowship may be the often forgotten middle child of the spiritual disciplines, but she may save your life in the dark night of your soul as you pass through the valley of the shadow of death and the shepherd comforts you with his staff. You will discover he has fashioned his people to act as his rod of refuge and rescue. When you desire to avail yourself of hearing his voice in the word, has dried up, and when your spiritual energy is gone to go to his ear in prayer, God sends his body to bring you back. It is not typically the wanderer's own effects that prompt his return to the fold, but his brothers, being to him a priceless means of God's grace. You see what he's saying? He says, sometimes we forget that fellowship Would someone mind going to get me a glass of water this morning? I don't have one up here, but if you'd be willing to do that, thank you. Um, This morning, notice, think about this. The the Bible's saying that, uh, what what Mathis is saying, he says, hey, look, there's some times where you you, you just feel like you're not in the word as you ought to be and and, and you're not praying like you should, but but, but, but what is the means of God's grace that's gonna prod you on in the Christian life? And he says, "It's, it's this. It's brothers and sisters. I wonder, have any of us ever wandered from the faith, but, but someone came seeking after us? Thank you. Has that happened to you? Has there been times in your life where you were a spiritual wanderer, but God in his loving mercy sent somebody, somebody in the body to come to bring you back? It's a means of God's grace. It's a means of God's grace in this corporate worship. So we show up. 
But secondly, we minister to others. What happens when we show up? We minister. We serve. The Hebrews says, notice, consider how to stir up one another for love and good works. If your idea of the church is coming to sit down and to receive and to take in, but not to serve and minister while you're here, you're missing it. If you come in on Sunday mornings and you make your way to your chair and you stay there the whole time and then we get up and we leave and you never once speak to someone, you never once encourage someone, you never once stir up the love and encouragement of God's family, you're missing it. You're missing it. This hallway before and after church, this room before and after service should just be erupting with what happened right in the middle of it, with people encouraging one another, speaking to one another, loving on one another. Why? Because we come in to minister to one another. God's brought us into this family to care for one another. And here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. This passage in Hebrews about not neglecting to meet together is the habit of some. Why is that the case? Why is that the case? You know, oftentimes when I hear that passage, I'll hear people say something like this. God's displeased when you don't show up. God, God's somehow angry with you when you're not there. I mean, especially when we were going through COVID and people were staying at home and things were happening, medical things. It was like this judgmental, like, hey, if you're not there, God's not pleased with you. Can I tell you something more than that? The thrust of this passage, the aim of this passage is on what we are doing. It's our response to one another. Yeah, a person might stay home because of a medical thing. I, mean, I think about homebound people today have no way to be here, right? But you know what they say to me when I go by and see them? They say, man, I just miss being there. I just miss it. Why? Because there's something you miss out on. There's, there's an aspect of corporate worship that you, that you lose. There's a, there's a, I would dare say this, there's, there's something about God that you're not going to see by yourself unless you see it in the life of a community. You say, wait, that sounds, what do you mean by that, pastor? Let me give you an illustration that C.S. Lewis gave in his book called The Four Loves. On his chapter on friendship, he talks about that one of his friends in his circle, who he was really close with, Charles, died. And his friend Charles died, and when Charles died, he said this, he said, in each of my friends, there is something that only the other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never see Ronald's reaction to a specifically charling joke. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself now, that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. Do you see what he's saying? He goes on to say, in this friendship exists a glorious nearness by resemblance to heaven itself when the very multitude of the blessed, which no one can number, will increase in fruition. But here's what he goes at. For every soul seeing him, he's talking about God in his, in, in her own way, doubtless communicates the, new, the unique vision to all the rest. You see what he's saying? He's saying that it takes a group to know an individual. What, he, what he's really saying is that, that, that only a group can, bring, can really bring out 
all that personality in a person. And he, he's talking about his friends. He says, now that one is dead, even my other friend in the group, that I would see his response to my other friend and, and that would be something that would light up and, and I'd come to know. He says, now that part of him is gone. Because we're made for community. We're interconnected. I, listen, I, I'm almost finished. Look right up here. Corporate worship. We show up and we minister to one another. Why? Because as you're ministering to one another, your life is going to become interconnected to the lives of other people in this church. It's a beautiful picture as you drive up in our church and you see that stone wall out front and all those different stones placed together and they're all connected. But if we were to start pulling out stones on that wall, you know what happened to the whole thing? What would happen? What would happen? just collapse. Could that be a picture of the church? Your life is being built into the lives of other people. That's why Paul says, as we are building one another up in love, it matters that you're here. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, it matters. It matters that you're here. It matters that we show up. It matters that we minister. Because your life is intricately being built into the life of someone else in this church, and you don't know this side of eternity, what your encouragement on a Sunday morning, what your love, what your service and ministry to them any time in the week meant in light of their spiritual growth. How many of you would raise your hand and say, you know what, I would not be where I am today without some brothers and sisters in Christ who loved and encouraged me. Show me your hand. Look up. Look up. Look at all these people. So it matters. So show up. <laughs> Minister, and then finally, glorify the Savior. Glorify Him. Notice Psalm 95. Man, we're running out of time. All right, here we go. Magnify the Savior with our emotions, with our will, and our mind. Notice our emotions. Let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise. Let us shout with songs of praise. Read the Psalms, all the different expressions of worshiping the Lord. <laughs> Clapping your hands, raising your hands, dancing shouting. Some of you are like, do we do that? We probably should. I mean, seriously, we probably should. Some of us are, are a little too baptistic in our, you know, practice. We're just like, I'm praising Jesus, but no one can tell. Get excited about it. Get fired up about it. There's nothing more exciting, man, when someone's raising their hands in worship. Someone's clapping, I'm like, why? Because, because it should affect our emotions. Should affect our wills. Verse six, come, let us bow down. Come, let us kneel. It's not just emotionalism, but it's res we're moving in a response to the Lord. And it's engaging our minds. There's truth that we are learning. Verse seven, today, if you hear his voice, Notice the psalmist describes some truth about God in this passage. He talks about God as creator. He talks about him as king. He talks about him as a shepherd. You say, where did David come to know this? Where, where did the psalmist come to understand these truths about God? Someone tell me, where did he come to understand that God is a shepherd, a king? Where did he, where did he come to know it? How did he come to know it? Say what? Say, you're saying things, but I can't hear you. How did he come to know that God is a king? How did he come to know that God is creator? 
Where do we come to know all the truths of what we know about God? Someone tell me. Hold it up, Gary. Hold it up high. Where do we get it? Hold it up. Right here. Hold it up. You got one this morning? This is the truth of God. This is his word. Jesus say we, minister, we, we, we worship in spirit and in truth. It, it affects our emotions, our mind, our wills, our emotions, but it's in response to the word of God. It's in response to the truth of God. You say, so what does this mean? Some of us need to learn some more things about God. And the more we know about him, the more it fuels our worship. Corporate worship right here today is for your good. For your good. It puts you on the path of experiencing Jesus. Why? How so? Because you showed up. Because you're going to minister to people today. And you're going to magnify the Lord. And if you do those things, and you do those things day, I mean weekly, and out of a course of your life, you're going to find that these corporate gatherings in the life of God's people have a way of leading you on a path to growing in your spiritual journey. Can I say to you as we close, will you prioritize the corporate gatherings of God's people? It's really scary to me to look at just my generation. And when I was growing up in church, families would go to church Sunday morning for Sunday school, Sunday morning for church, Sunday night for church, Wednesday night for church. What's happened in 20 years? Some of us can barely make it here once a month. What is that doing to our spiritual lives? What, what, is that, what is the effect of what that will have on our children? If we're not putting ourselves in a place to where we can know God and worship Him and respond to Him, we're missing out on our good and the good of others. And we're failing to give glory to the one who is worthy of everything. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for your truth. Lord, thank you for what these times mean to us. Thank you that we learn things about you. Thank you that you grow us. Lord, right now this morning, I pray for every person here that they would, they would work to prioritize the times with God's people. We would not just view those things as something on our calendar, but Lord, we would see it as a, as a means for our spiritual growth, as a, as, a, as a way to know you more and better and to love you more and to serve you better. So Lord, I pray for every person here today, you would help us to identify our next step in our Christian life. I'll give you just a moment right here to clarify that before the Lord. We're not going to have a come forward invitation. The invitation's right there in your seat this morning. What is your next step? What is your next step that God wants you to take in your Christian life? Father, we pray you would help us, give us grace Help us to be obedient to the leading of your spirit. And we'll give you glory for all things in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen.